Lord, my prayer this morning is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Now, if you've got your notebooks out, you might want to write down those six colors. I'll give them to you in order, just so you can remember that sharing the gospel is a story. It's your story. It's my story. It's God's story of his relationship with human beings. So the first color was black, and that meant sin. The second color was red, and that meant blood. Jesus. The third color was white. Hold it. Blue. You're right. I wrote them down wrong on my notes. Blue is for baptism. Then we have white. Cleansing. Green. And gold. Heaven. The streets of gold. So Paul, in the passage today, asked a series of questions. This is how students learned in Paul's day, and we actually use this technique in education today. It's called the Socratic method. Teachers in Paul's day didn't have a whiteboard or a blackboard or a smart board behind them. They would ask questions and pull the appropriate answer out of their students. So remember what he says? How can anybody hear unless somebody tells them? And how can they Tell them if nobody preaches. And how can they preach if nobody goes? So really, Paul is, in a Socratic way, reminding us of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16. When he told the disciples, go into all the world preaching the gospel, making disciples and baptizing and teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. So I want you to think about this. Uh, I know that Wiki went through EE training, and I did EE training many years ago. And when you're sharing, it stands for evangelism explosion. You ask the person, if you were to die tonight, would you beyond know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would go to heaven? And most people could not say beyond a shadow of a doubt, even people in the church that they would go to heaven. Now, I know most of you, I know most of you very well, we've made decisions for Jesus. Hopefully you are clear on your place in heaven. But here's a scarier question. If you, at King's Baptist Church, were asked to share God's plan of salvation today, right now, could you do it? Now, That's also a question for the church universal, because we're not really teaching people how to tell, how to explain the story of salvation. The majority of Christians, I believe, in the church today would say no. So I went online and I found a survey done by a, a church growth company, and they surveyed people who attend church at least once a month. That was the minimum standard. You had to attend church at least once a month. 80% said that they believe that they have a responsibility to share the gospel. Now, that's a little frightening to me. It should be 100%. But 80% of the attenders who went once a month said, yes, we as believers have a responsibility to share the gospel. 
61% said that they had never, never invited an unchurched person to their church. So I want you to hear the disconnect here. 80% said it's my responsibility to share the gospel, and 61% said, I have never shared the gospel. 75% said they would be comfortable in their ability to communicate the gospel. 12% said they're not comfortable. 48%, I'm sorry, 33% said they had invited at least two people to church in their life as a Christian. 19% they said they invited three people. And I want you to hear this. 20% had never prayed for the spiritual status of another human being. These are some depressing numbers. And I'm not going to ask for an amen because you shouldn't give an amen to depressing numbers. So how did I learn to share the gospel? I'm going to share three methods with you. Hopefully you've heard or seen all three of these, but I just want to outline them for you. When I was 16, we talked about this a couple times, Ford Philpot came to South Jersey. He's a Methodist evangelist. Some people called him the Methodist Billy Graham. He traveled all around the United States and the world sharing the gospel. And when you went to get trained to share, to be one of the prayer counselors, he gave you the Roman road. There are one, two, three, four, four verses that he made us memorize, verses that most of us have heard and have memorized already. So here's the first step in the Roman road, Romans 3.23. What's the verse say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody has missed the mark. Everybody has a spiritual indebtedness to other human beings and to God. If there's a point to that verse, it's none of us are perfect. The second verse on the Roman road was Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So now you have an understanding that although we are not perfect, God has given us a gift. He sent Jesus to die in our place. It's so nice to see you taking notes. Uh, if you want, you can write these down on your phone too if you forgot your notebook. The next one is Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, our Presbyterian friends might not like that because they believe in limited atonement, but we believe that everybody has the right, the ability, and the gift of grace to be saved. Which brings us to the fourth part of the Roman road, which is Romans 10, 9 and 10. I want you to hear this before you write anything down. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is your heart, it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it was your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's a two-part thing. You have to believe it, 
and you have to say it. Now, my son, the Episcopalian priest, would like to point out that every Sunday at his church, they say a creed. And in those creeds, they say things like, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was dead and buried, crucified, dead and buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From whom you have judged the quick and the dead. I believe. They say that in the creed. I believe. No, it just went out of my head. I've said this like every Sunday of my life until I came to a Baptist church. But they say every week, these are the things that I believe. Right out of this verse. Right? You believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth. And if I were going to add one to the Roman road, it would be this. You've got to believe it, say it, and live it. So, 16-year-old, I memorized these verses. And if anybody called upon me to share the gospel, I knew my Roman road. Then I went to college. And I joined Campus Crusade for Christ. And they used to have a little yellow booklet. You could still buy them. It was called... The four spiritual laws, right? And we used to go down to the Echelon Mall with these questionnaires, and we would hang out by the food court. Churches got permission to do this in the 70s. We'd go down and we would ask questions, you know, where do you live? What church do you attend? And when you got to the end, right back to that evangelism explosion question, we would ask something like, if... If you were to die tonight, would you? And the person might say yes, and then they might say no. If they said no, we would say, have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? And out came a tract. Now, I want to talk about tracts for a minute, because I went to the Bible bookstore this week, and they were out of tracts. The guy said, for some reason, people have been buying tracts like they're going out of style. The only ones they had there were the $10, $20, and $100 bill ones where you fold it in half and you lay it on the ground and somebody goes, oh, I found $20, and you scoop it up and it goes, this is not a $20 bill, but I have good news for you. Most people who think that they just found $20 and believe it's a Bible tract afterwards ain't reading the tract. You cannot trick a person into heaven. And I told the guy, I said, you need to stop selling these. He said, you know what? We got a complaint from the local prison. I said, what? He said, yes. Some of the ladies had a prison ministry and they were taking these there and the inmates were already deciding how they were going to trick the dealers to buy drugs with these when they got out. So they've been banned from the prisons. He said, he's got one lady who comes in and if any business sends her a postage return envelope, she puts a track in and sends it back. Now, that person who's opening up the envelopes gets that track. Are they going to be more or less likely to read that track or toss it in the circular file? It's frightening. A track is only as good as the person who actually uses it to share the gospel. 
I, I don't know if you remember, out on uh, the Whitehorse Pike, right across from Howard Hill, there used to be a, a place like Denny's, but it was called Sambo's. Does anybody remember Sambo's? I was the night waiter and dishwasher. I had both jobs while I was in seminary. And I got to tell you, you run back and forth and you pour coffee and get their dinner and you're nice and pleasant and you get, they get up and leave. And I also was the cashier, so I took the money. You go to clean off the table and all they left you is a Bible track and you already know Jesus. You go to summer camp and tell people about Jesus. You were in seminary learning how to tell people and you leave me a track. I was not a happy waiter. None of your waiters are happy if you leave them a track. I want you to hear what Campus Crusade did. You build a relationship with somebody, and when they say to you, how do I join? How do I, how do I learn about Jesus? What's the next step? Then the track becomes a tool, like the witnessing bracelet, for you to tell the story of the gospel. We need to stop littering the world with tracks. That's just my personal opinion. I didn't name the sermon that, but I thought about it. Tracks are very helpful if there's a relationship that goes with them. So now we've built this relationship. There are four laws. You can look these up online. Law. Well, it started off with an introduction, and I'll just say this because I've done this so many times with the four spiritual laws. Just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe... So are there spiritual laws that govern your relationship with God? That's an impactful sentence, yes? We have gravity. That's a physical law. And we have spiritual gravity that says we are separated from God by sin. Law one says God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. And they would use John 3.16 for that or John 10.10. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God has a wonderful plan for your life, is law one. Law two was this. Man is sinful and separated from God. Therefore, he cannot know or experience God's plan for his life. An unsaved person that does not have a relationship with God can never see the plan that God has for them. What verse would they use for that? We're back to Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. You're going to notice that there's some repetition in the way that each of these methods shared the gospel. Law one, God has a plan for you. Law two, you can't see God's plan because sin has separated you from God. Law number three, I love this one. Jesus is God's only provision for man's sin. Only through Jesus can you know and experience God's plan for your life. That would be Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And John 14.16. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Law four, we must individually receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. For that, I'm going to use John 1.12. For as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. John 1.12. 
Now, some of you are writing furiously, and I realize I'm doing what my college students say. I got a little bit excited, and I'm going fast. So, does anybody need me to repeat something, or you got it? Karen Wiki said we got it. So, let's move on. You didn't say that. Okay, well... Now, the last one I learned to use with Christian Endeavor. Uh, one of the leaders, when I was just a speaker, not the executive director, brought a really neat track called Bridge to Life. I don't know if you've seen this one, but in your notes, I want you to draw a, a fairly large letter U and then put two straight lines on the top of the U. So you've got a line, a big letter U, and another line. On the, on the left side, I want you to write man on the, on the straight line. On the right side, I want you to write God. Now, if you're talking to somebody who's never been churched, this is a great physical representation so they can see all the stuff we talked about with the bracelet and the four spiritual laws and the Roman road. So if you notice from your picture, man is separated from God. What do you think you're going to write down in the bottom of that hole? It's a three-letter word. No. Begins with S. Sin. Sin. Sin is what separates us from God. So, what verse might you pull out for that? There you go. Romans 3.23. And this is where we get to talk about the fact that nothing you can do can get you across. Some people might live really good lives, but they're not perfect. Some people might give a lot to the church. It's like I say, you can't earn, learn, try, or buy your way into heaven. There's nothing we can do. Well, that's fairly helpless. So then what are you going to draw, do you think, to unite the two sides? A cross. So you put one arm of the cross where it says man, one arm of the cross where it says God. The transom goes in the middle. Jesus died for us so that we could have access to God. Jesus becomes the, what's the name of the track? Bridge, Bridge to life. So we are separated from God by sin, made clear by the picture. We can't reach God on our own. Jesus paid the penalty for us. And we can have a relationship with God now and for eternity. So, in about 19 minutes, we've talked about four different ways to share the gospel. There's just some final thoughts I need to add to this. The first one is this. The most powerful witness you have in your life is you. You had a life before you met Jesus. You met Jesus, and now you have a life after you met Jesus. One of the most powerful things you can say is, before I met Jesus, these were the issues. These were the challenges. These are the sins I had in my life. Then I met Jesus and I understood what grace was, and I understood what was forgiveness was. And now I have these benefits. I have the family of God. I have the praise of God. I have the worship of God. I have the spirit of God. I have the word of God. All because Jesus died for me. 
Now, people talk about things that are close to their hearts. Football, baseball, hockey, politics, family, grandchildren. I find myself talking about grandchildren more than I ever have before in my life. Why? Because now I have some. Now, Barbara Walters woke a book, wrote a book called How to Talk to Just About Anybody. And she said the key question that you need to learn to ask is to ask somebody about themselves. What is it that you do? I've never heard of that before. What does that entail? Build a relationship. People love to talk about themselves. And if you get the opportunity, I have a pastor who tells his people to say in this course of dialogue, what do you think about Jesus? And people might tell you how the church has hurt them. They might tell you how they prayed for a pony when they were eight years old and God didn't answer and they decided there is no God. You have to listen. Write that in capital letters. You have to listen. Next thing you have to write is you're not allowed to argue or judge. You ask the question, then you have to sit through the answer. And then when you're invited, because it's sort of rude to ask a question and then not have the person ask it back. Like, what was it? I guess it was Saturday morning? Friday morning, I went to the gym so after last week's sermon, I convicted myself. I went to the gym, and I rode my bike, and I got back to walking. I, I convicted myself, and I was hot and sweaty. And Vicki came out from sleeping, and she looked at me, and she got that look like, no, <laughs> I am not touching this hot, sweaty man. So we sat, and we talked, and I took a shower, and then she realized about two hours later that we had never said good morning, or kissed, or I love, none of the above had taken place. And she got this look like, oh, I said, really? It's not like I don't tell you 10 times a day. But, right? If somebody says, if one fool says I love you, the other fool has to say it back. It, just, it doesn't work if only one person says it. It's the same for dialogues. If you ask somebody, what do you think about Jesus? At the end, they should say, what do you think about Jesus? Well, let me tell you. A track, I want to say this again, is only as useful as the relationship behind it. I, uh, in my counseling practice, have many psychological tests. And I tell my students that a test is only as good as the person administering and interpreting the test. Example. You give Michelangelo a block of marble, a hammer and a chisel, and you get the Pieta, or David. You give Doc Madison a block of marble, a hammer and a chisel, and guess what you get? Marble chips. Suitable for putting in your garden, right? It's only as good as the person and the relationship behind it. I was uh, having dinner with my best friend last night who's a fisherman and I wanted to double check because I've said this a lot but I wanted to double check I said Bob you've been fishing for your whole life he says yep 50 plus years 
I said, has a fish ever jumped into the boat? Right? Catch me. I'm your fish. He said, Doc, no, a fish has never jumped into the boat. I want you to hear that. We're throwing traps out sometimes, hoping that the fish will jump into the boat. No, we have to go build a relationship with the fish and invite them into the boat. Having said that, there's only two more things. This may be one of the most important, though. It is not your responsibility to change a person's heart or mind. It is only your job to plant the seed. I've heard Christians try to argue people into the kingdom of heaven. All you get is an angry friend. It's the Holy Spirit's job to touch and convict their hearts so that they're open and receptive when you plant the seed. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago. We plant the seed, but God waters. God gives the sun. God provides the increase. But we have to be seed planters. Please do not feel that you need to argue people into the kingdom of heaven. Last point of the day, I'm going to quote the 76ers. Trust the process. Trust the process. I've given you four brief gospel presentations. You might like all of them. You might like none of them. There are literally hundreds of gospel presentations you can learn. Find one that matches your heart and your life and your experience. Choose one. Remember, we found out that only 20% of Christians had ever prayed for the spiritual lives of others. Move that to the top of the list. Pray for openings to share the gospel. Point number three is share, don't argue. And the last one is this. Enjoy the harvest. Enjoy the harvest. Amen.